Welcome to Coach to Scale, how modern leaders build coaching cultures. I'm your host, Matt Benelli. Join me as we build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that effective coaching improves the performance of every team member. Our mission is to help leaders become better coaches. The Coach to Scale podcast is sponsored by Coachem, the world's first AI coaching execution platform that leverages evidence-based coaching to increase quota attainment. And with that, let's get started. I am excited to sit down with today's guest, and I'd like to start off with a quote. And that quote is this, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And today's guest is going to talk about a lot of the things that when building a culture of coaching start off as acts, but then become habits. She's developed an expertise in the cybersecurity arena. She's worked with companies such as Forcepoint and SailPoint. Coming to us today out of the thriving city of Austin, Texas, she's the head of America's sales development, commercial, and international sales at VMware Carbon Black. Victoria Abeling, welcome to Coach to Scale. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's exciting. Well, well, we're happy to have you and really excited to, to sit down. And uh, as I went through your background, I know we've talked about this, you know, you've developed this fo area of focus with uh, cybersecurity. And I'd like to uh, make sure that we get to that later, but you're, you're coming at it from a truly interesting angle uh, at a very, very relevant time. Let's talk about coaching for a second. Now, You've been doing this for a while, and I know you share the passion for coaching and developing people. There's a lot of myths uh, in the business. Some, some uh, are warranted, some aren't. But Victoria, can you talk about a common myth about coaching salespeople or sales leaders that you think is misguided or perhaps misunderstood? Uh, yes, of course. So you know, I think a common myth that a lot of sales leaders, uh, as well as their teams, uh, struggle with is that they view coaching as uh, punitive or a big brother. And I view this as my job is to make you better at your craft. And in order to do that, I have to spend time in, or in order to help you get better at what you're doing. And by that, I, I coach you. We, we do deal reviews. We look at the forecast. We um, listen to recordings. Uh, we do pitch contests. And so it may feel like as a individual with your manager inspecting this, that you are not doing your job. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Uh, on that. Um, so I think you touched on something super important and pervasive, which is that, um, that coaching, when that man manager is trying to help someone get better, it's often perceived as punitive. Why, why does that myth it, persist? Um, I think because if you're, there's a myth that if your manager pays attention to you, now you're on a plan or you're going to be managed out. Um, it is perceived as I should be able to do my job because I was hired to do this. And if someone's inspecting me, then it looks like I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I think salespeople have a innate sense of, I can do this myself. I want to be the best. And if someone else is telling them how to do something better, they tend to feel like they are not uh, up to standard or performing. 
Um, and I think one of the reasons I love what I do is that I can help shift some of that perception. And my goal is to make you better than me, right? My goal is that if I leave, you're my, you know, backfill, you are getting promoted. And how could you do that without uh, the support from, from a leader who may have already been there? I mean, not that I have all the answers, but there's always a different point of view. Well, you're coming from a place of wanting to help, uh, not wanting to make someone look bad, not wanting to, hey, step aside, let me, you know, uh, let me show the world what I can do and why I'm, why I'm the boss. Is that, is that the issue? Is it that uh, people think that it's uh, punitive because their manager's helping them? You know, did, did, was that culture, did we create that? Um, did managers, did sales leaders create that over time by only focusing on the people that were struggling and letting the people who had more experience kind of, you know, sink or swim on their own. How much, how much of that do we have to bear? Yeah. So I think if you go back to, you know, not that I'm a historian on sales, but I have been doing this for a while, probably lived it. Yeah. I I, I've lived it, um, you know, for at least 25 years now, but outside sales was really historically how people got into sales. It was door to door. It was, uh, really tough uh, job. You you were trained and then you were let go, and that sort of was the culture. Like you you had to almost sink or swim. Um, as companies became, you know, as technology happened in the '90s uh, and even early 2000s, that's really when inside sales was uh, was founded. And when you think about that, it's inherently about guidance and cult uh, and coaching and development because you're taking folks right out of school with no experience and putting them into the real world. So it, it, there, there's almost an inher- inherent way that uh, coaching has grown up with inside sales and sales development that um, permeates through what we do today. So, you know, I, I view it as it is table stakes. There, there's no other way to do your job without knowing um, how to do things and constant, um, you know, cadence of, of coaching and training. So, um, yeah, I think we actually, it, it was created that way because that was how it was done. And then we've evolved to understanding that this is a part of, um, how you should do things in the future. Do we do it? Well, not all the time. Um, are we trying to get better at it? Yeah. That's why we're you know here talking today and want to see what, what, what else we could share with the, the rest of the uh, community. So, so I started off with that quote about uh, largely uh, attributed to Aristotle, but I, I think it's uh, a guy named Will Durant that came up with it. And it talked about we are what we repeatedly do. Um, and when we do things consistently, those acts become habits. Uh, building a coaching culture doesn't happen overnight. The culture is something that takes a long time to build. What are some of those elements uh, or key points to consider when building a coaching culture? Coaching culture um, is, is obviously very important in any sales organization. It's also, I think, one of the first that can be put aside very quickly when you have competing deadlines, uh, responsibility that occupies your time. Um, in fact, one of the easiest ways to miss out on some coaching opportunities to, to um, move a one-on-one because something gets you know, scheduled over it um, it's yeah. it's something I I hate and I wish I was better at because it's easier to move one meeting that, uh, with one person than it is you know a, a larger uh, meeting. So 
the one thing that I think that is extremely important is consistency. And when I say that, you have to have an operating cadence, um, uh, standard operating procedures. Uh, it might be something that you create with your team. It could be something that your boss puts out. It could be a company uh, um, operating procedure. And I, I do think one thing we do very well here at VMware Carbon Black is we, we have a very strong support system on an operating culture as well as a cadence. So what, what I do to support that is make sure that, um, you know, we may miss a week, but it is important for me to make sure that I'm doing individual development plans with my leaders uh, just as much as they should be cascading it down to their team. Um, and, I, and I think it's important to publish that calendar. They need to know when it's coming. They need to know why we're doing it and what to expect. And coaching isn't... Can you just elaborate um, on when you say uh, operating culture? Uh, for for the folks who are thinking I, that hey, that might mean this, that might mean that, what is, what is the operating culture and how does that fit into coaching at VMware Carbon Black? Yeah, so I, I look at it in calendar years. You've got what do we do on an annual basis? Maybe that's promotions. Maybe that's um, you know equity planning. Then you look at it at a half. You know what do we do on a half? We want to do development plans with each team. We were going to do performance reviews. Then we look at it on a quarter and then a week basis. What do we do at the quarter? And usually at the quarter level, this is where the performance and the coaching of you have every ninety days to you know I think every sales rep knows you have ninety days to perform and you're only as good as last quarter. So you've got 90 days to show up. And in those 90 days, I'm going to help you with hitting your number. How much are you adding opportunity? Are we, are we poised to make sure that every deal we're talking to um, is ready to close? Are, you know, what are we missing? And then that's where you bring in some sales methodology and, and you know, with your team. Um, but that also flags where coaching is uh, important. Maybe someone needs help on negotiation. Maybe someone needs help on discovery. Um, I'm really big on discovery. I think if you can teach your folks how to discover early and often in the pipeline, um, there's so many people that can help you move it to to close. You've got your, um, you know, your your finance and your, um, you know, deal desk. You have your leaders. You've got your specialists. But if you can't understand if this is a good deal right off the bat, um, you know, we're we're all we're kind of dead in the water. So I, I really believe in that. Um, that that early coaching of of discovery and and sort of curious questions, um, th that's that's a really big deal for me. So uh, with discovery, it, it after a solid discovery call, most of the time, I would think you can tell whether there's a sincere a willingness and ability to buy, or there's some yeah. there's a fire, there's a spark. Yep. But a lot of like a lot of times you 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 come away from that call and. And if, if there was another set of eyes and ears and they were being objective, they would say, no don't put way. that in pipeline, <laughs> no way. But what, what is your experience there? Do you, sometimes we cling to opportunities that aren't really opportunities, despite the evidence, uh, uh you know, to support that there's probably nothing there. A absolutely. I mean, like if you think about average sales, you know, close rates, you're, you're probably somewhere between 15 to 30, depending on maybe sales cycle and ASP. Um, you know, my, my business runs a little bit faster than some of the, my counterparts in enterprise, just as we're more, more, more transactional. Um, but there are definite buying signals. I I'm a buyer myself as with, with other vendors. I know when I want something, I know when I, um, have budget, I know if I need to pull in my executive sponsor, um, I'm a champion or I'm not. 
And so I, I definitely think that, you know, there are times on a forecast call where I will say that's that's not going to happen, you guys. Like, I, I just I just know what you haven't heard from them in a month. That, that That's not th- those are not indications of a, a good deal. Um, now, they could always come back. Right. And, and so I know that has happened. I'm not going to I'm generalizing a little bit. But I do think that, you know, there are there are ways that as a leader, we can help people understand through coaching if this is, um, you know, if this is a, this is going to go anywhere. Um, and there's a reason there's, is this, you know, buyers are, are more sophisticated now. They, they've already done their research. Uh, they, they know what they want ahead of time. And we've got a path of our journey of how to demo. They probably just want to see it, but we haven't done discovery yet. So there's, there's a friction already between the buying and the selling. Victoria, is is it important to have as part of that coaching culture the notion that not everybody is qualified to be one of your customers? Like in your case, not everybody's qualified to be a VMware Carbon Black customer. And the, the faster that we can get uh, disqualify opportunities, uh, the more we'll be able to focus on the more qualified opportunities. And so how important is that? And how important is that at both the individual contributor level, but also like the working with the frontline managers to let them know that it it's in their best interest to disqualify uh, as much as they're trying to qualify? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, LinkedIn right now is a um, plethora of lots of sales stats. But one thing that continues to that I see is you know, pipeline is really difficult right now for for everyone, no matter what industry you're in. And as a sales rep, you are, you know, there's a juxtaposition between I've got to perform, but I also have to hit KPIs and metrics. And so, you know, this goes back a little bit to, you know, close rates and, you know, um, is that a real good deal? There, There's also just self-perseverance at times. And you've got to balance that as, as a leader as, as well. And, you know, it's probably naive to think that everything in your pipeline is is done with good intentions, but you think, it, but you know, it's good intention, right? The, the, they are good people who are trying to, you know, do well. And the importance with disqualification is that y- you have to be able to say and be okay with, uh, with a, with a no or, or parting ways fast and, and, and furious, right? Um, we, we only have so many hours in the day. And one thing that I talk to my team about is if you have one hour to make the most amount of money, where are you going to spend your time? And I know this isn't necessarily a data conversation, but data is just as important with coaching than than anything. And so I'm very big on it. And my sales ops will will laugh because I go in a lot of <laughs> rabbit holes. But I'm I'm usually trying to either prove a point, solve something, and then you know, or I get distracted and move on to something else. But the idea is, if you know where to spend your time, if you understand how to make the most of your impact with what you have, your territory, um, you know, your customer set, who you're calling into, uh, disqualification is just as important as a good call too. You don't have to waste your time. If you can find five more deals that will, you know, close instead of this one deal. And what if the, the other stat that we have is a 20K deal closes just as fast as a 50K, 50K for us um, in, in our space. And so, if that 50 doesn't close, you better get three more, you know, 20s. So what are you doing if that's not the, even the right ideal customer profile, right? So it, it, it is very uh, relevant in our business to 
disqualify. We've studied uh, top performers in sales for the past 10 years. And what we found, you know, it's consistent with all the data, is that the, the top salespeople in the world are maniacally protective of their time. They're, they're maniacally protective of their time. So when you have, when you're maniacally protective of your time, you're less likely uh, to, you know, hang out with people who aren't showing any buying interest. And you're quicker to disqualify and move on again and try to find those opportunities mm-hmm. that have a higher likelihood of closing. So, and, and then the other thing, uh, based on what you said a little earlier, is the, you talked about the importance of consistency and that coaching, those one-on-ones, that can fall off when things uh, get tough, when there's a lot of pressure. And I think we can all agree at every level in our business, there's a tremendous amount of pressure these days. So I always say prospecting, uh, coaching for managers is like prospecting for reps. It's the lifeblood of, of the role. However, it's the first thing that falls off when things, uh, when things get uh, tough. So appreciate uh, you sharing that and love the focus on data because when you can, when you can point to data it, as a coach, it becomes a lot more objective and it can be a lot less emotional. Victoria, you talked about uh, skill set, like in, you know, getting people better. And granted, the way sales organizations are successful is that revenue is coming in. Revenue comes via deals. But a a complaint of a lot of uh, top performers, a lot of individual contributors, um, and it's it's told and retold in exit interviews when they leave is that all my manager cares about is the deal. The one-on-one, even when it's scheduled, morphs into a deal debrief. Um, What do you say to those managers who may sometimes over-index and focus too myopically on just the deal. So that's really interesting because, again, sales is about closing business and revenue, and it's deals. Um, But I like to, you know, not just report the news, but to create the news. And I think a lot of times when you're just focused on deals, all you're doing is reporting what other people are trying to, you know, are, are, are beating you. And while it's important, it is definitely a slippery slope to take your foot off the gas. And this goes back to sort of the coaching fr- framework and a little bit of that cadence. It's very easy to put things in your calendar and then not follow up on them. And if you're not following up on them and your managers are not following up on the reps, the reps are going to think that it's not important. Hmm. And if it's not important enough for you to care about what you say, then it's, it's, it's subconscious behavior. I'm sure there's a scientist out there will, that, that can validate this and say that if you don't expect what you in, expect, it won't happen. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there's, there's a reason that deals, deals, deals are important, but you have to do it in a way that makes it that sort of the why, right? Well, why are we doing this versus just a, you know, hey, I, I just need to know an update on the deals. Um, and then again, it's the consistency for, you know, for sure. And is there, can you, 
find patterns, you know, as you, as you start to work with work on different opportunities, you start to see patterns emerge, whether it's with that rep or it's with the team where the team is doing something really good, or some people on the team are doing something really well that they should um, double down on. Everybody should consider focusing a little bit more on, or conversely, there are things that are happening where, whoa, whoa, maybe this is an opportunity for training. What is your, what are your thoughts on finding those signals uh, based on looking at opportunities across the board rather than focusing too much on this deal or that deal. So it, it's interesting how coaching has evolved too, because it used to have to be extreme inspection. And um, as we've gotten smarter and as AI has been integrated more into a lot of our tools that we use, um, coaching actually is should be second nature. It should be part of your, you know, your, your daily behaviors. But what inspecting deals does is open up opportunities for for coaching, which is, um, hey, you know, we, we're always losing after a demo. Well, why? Let's go listen to the more demos. Let me, how about I sit on a demo? Why don't we practice a, you know, a whiteboard and a, um, you know, a, um, a, you know, role play on this. So it's not, again, sort of going back to this punitive thing, it's, it's not about, um, you know, thinking you're not doing well. It's not about, the, the deals you have might not be right, but it is important to know where we're losing and where we're winning. I mean, we do just as much loss analysis as we do on win analysis. And Can you explain that? Yep. So a loss analysis is after we lose a deal, we will get together and talk about why we, we lost that. At what point um, do you think we could have saved it? Um, were there when, when the, you know, the buying signals stopped? Um, have we, you know, there's usually a checklist that I like to um, follow um, usually it's, you know, did we do a quote review with them? How do we know the partner? Do we know the buying committee? Um, you know, was there, you know, what did we miss? And usually what we miss is that they didn't, they, they chose, they, they chose either to stay what they're doing or, um, you know, it just didn't, they, they, they chose nothing. So I guess yeah. that's the same. They, they chose nothing. And we, we could have asked those questions ahead of time. Um, in fact, a lot of my forecast calls when I'm with my team is like, have we even asked one for the PO? Have we even asked, you know, if, if, if you, what would it take for you to even just select us? Right. I mean, there's, there's some basic, you know, kind of questions that you can ask that sometimes I think we're afraid to ask because it's hard to hear that, you know, you, you, you inherently don't want to be rejected. So, you know, mm. that if you ask that question, they could say, no, I'm never going to choose you. But you keep keep it going, um, and even as a buyer, it's time hard to say, "Hey, I'm not." You know, look, I didn't get the budget. I, I, I tried, um, but uh, you know, we're getting better at it. And you know, I, th I think. Uh, oh, oh, also, the the new buyers they're they're the same generation now as a lot of the sales reps. So this is all new for them, you know, it, as well. And they're and they're learning how to buy, and they're learning how to um, you know have that vendor sales etiquette as well. And what have you put your finger on anything that um, you've noticed is very challenging working with the modern buyer versus the more legacy buyer that mm -hmm. we've been familiar with over the years? Yeah. So in the past, it was very difficult to get information. So they had to come to you as the expert and there was trust and um, loyalty built up just through that process, right? We didn't have a lot of 
um, information on websites. Maybe things were gated. Uh, you had to go to a trade show in order to get in information about something. So, and we're talking just 10, 20 years, right? I mean, I, I, I was, again, I, I got my first I mean, we obviously had internet, but even just having a BlackBerry to travel and um, communicate was was not until, um, you know, early 2000s. And so what you can do right now is you could watch videos, you could go on Reddit, you can, um, mm -hmm. you know, go on all these websites that talk about the product, you can see demos and videos, you can talk to your friend. So buyers already have, a, a, know what they're, they're looking for. Um, the, the other thing that has really impacted selling is obviously the magic quadrant. A lot of times you are um, not even allowed to play if you're not in, you know, far right um, up and, you know, and up and to the right. So you have to really overcome a lot of those objections if you even get a seat at the table. Um, so it's, it's already feels like sometimes you're on the de defensive versus the offensive. Um, but I think we do a really good job of, getting through to when, when someone wants to talk to us, it's usually because they have done their due diligence. They already know about us. I mean, we, and this is general to carbon black, but we created the EDR industry, right? So we have a reputation of being one of, you know, the best in the, in the world. Um, you know, VMware bought carbon black. There was a little, you know, so, so there was some integration and now, you know, the Broadcom acquisition is, is there, there's a little bit of limbo, but for the most part, um, you know, we had a great, we have a great reputation. And so um, in some ways that's even a different buying and coaching mm. model as well. When you've got, when, when you're number one versus, you know, fighting constantly the competitor, um, you know, you, you also have to change your, your tactics and, and coaching there as well. Well, yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, change your tactics, change your coaching, depending on where you are. I mean, even in, uh, you know, pick your sport, if you're, uh, if the team is, uh, up by a lot um, within the game, they coach that differently than if they have to come from behind or if it's a close game. So that makes a ton of sense. And we touched on a lot of different things that could t uh, tie to this next question, but I'm going to ask it. Uh, Victoria, what's one very important lesson you've learned along the way? So a lesson learned type of thing uh, when it comes to coaching and leading people. The biggest lesson that I have learned is do not be defensive. Um, I've had a couple people in my career tell me that you're defensive. And that that is really hard to sort of, like, even just internalize. Like, what does that mean? You, you ask me right. a question, so I'm responding. How, how can that not be defensive? You know, th that to me is just my normal reaction. Um, and <laughs> I think what I've realized is that you've got to, take things in, say thank you for the feedback, um, and change the perception that someone felt this way and that made them uncomfortable to tell you because that's not that's hard for them to probably give someone some feedback. Huge. And even if you don't agree, you now can change their perception on how you respond to something. You can change their your their perception of you and everyone else on recognizing that and saying, hey, you know, I, I didn't realize that. But here's what I'm going to do differently because that, that was important that you took time out to give me um, feedback. So um, it, that, that, that was something that, that takes a while. I, I don't know if I've accomplished that very good with my husband, but um, he still <laughs> says that. But we, you know, I, I, do, I do try to, to understand that even bad feedback 
doesn't mean that you need to defend yourself. You're, they're, they're, they're not even asking you to defend yourself. Um, and, and, and bad you, feedback, bad feedback is, uh, when you say that, you mean feedback that someone may not want to hear. Right. So someone may not want to hear that, right? Like, so, I, you know, yeah. I, earlier in my career, I would get, you get, you're, you're very emotional. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> you, you think about the reps and not the company. And if you want to get ahead, um, you know, you look angry. I'm like, I'm not angry. I'm just Italian. Um, so, so I think in, in some ways those are all elements as well of coaching and maybe that boss of the person doing that feedback could have a moment of coaching for them and say, Hey, you know, next time you give someone feedback like that, why, why don't you approach them differently? Because their reaction could, their reaction could change everything by the way. Right. I mean, there's, there's times where you, you give someone feedback that they didn't get a job offer, you know, and they're, they're applying internally. And more often than not, how they react is how you're going to feel about them for every other offer out there in the next, you know, the next time. Yeah. I, I, well, you, you, uh, you beat me to um, bringing up the, the spouse, but I can tell you from 20, almost 26 years of marriage that one of the ways not to approach uh, giving feedback is to start off by saying, don't get defensive. Or don't take this personally, but I'll tell yeah. you, those two don't work. The, the, um, or neither. Calm down doesn't work either. Oh, relax. Yeah, relax <laughs> yeah. does not. not yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then see, I told you so. Uh, okay. But uh, the other part of that is, and you touched on it, the importance of leaders learning how to give feedback. And someone, uh, one of my mentors over time said, you know, it's not good or f- bad feedback. It's feedback. And feedback will fall into two categories, the stuff that makes you feel good and the stuff that uh, it's a little bit hard to hear, but the best situation, the best coaching dynamic exists when both sides understand that they'll be both. And one is uh, the the good stuff is, Hey, how do I do more of that? And the not so good stuff is how do I learn and, and modify? And that's not easy. And that's a challenge. I would say one of the common themes in terms of when we work with clients and when we work with uh, sales leaders, one of the more valuable pieces of feedback on the sessions is when we talk about how to give feedback. So um, super, super important when it, when it comes to coaching. So Victoria, let's pivot a little bit and uh, talk about you, right? So we learned from you. Um, now let's learn a little bit more about you. You are now at VMware Carbon Black for the audience, uh, just a little primer. What does VMware Carbon Black do, and what do you love about your role and, and what you do every day with your teams? Yeah, uh, awesome question. Sometimes I forget that um, people might not know about VMware or even Carbon Black, but uh, VMware has been around for almost twenty-five years. Um, collectively, I've worked there for almost twelve, twelve or thirteen now. Um, I, I'm a boomerang. Um, but Carbon Black is the, the security business unit for VMware. It is um, a endpoint security container and um, I would say next-gen XDR um, provider. We are a, a SaaS arm um, for VMware. So I work in that business unit and I primarily am responsible for our com- commercial business and international, which includes Canada and Latin America. And we are responsible for protecting all of our customers. We believe that it is important for everyone to have context 
in the, their security platform to understand the risk gap that they have um, in their environment. Um, and we believe we're the only vendor that actually can can do that. But what that really means is that we put a little endpoint on your um, computers and your workloads and your laptops and make sure that, um, you know, we, we, we do threat hunting and ransom protection and um, manage detection services. So it's a it, it is very relevant today. Um, it is it's in the news every every day. I mean, you see, um, you know, MGM and Caesars being taken out last month. It's, it's great. It's one of the reasons I went back to VMware. I, I love cybersecurity. I, I knew that if I was going to go back to VMware, which I always felt in my heart that I would after um, a, a hiatus for a while, that if I was going to go back, I would be leading, you know, a, an important business unit for for the Americas and um, doing something that is really important. And you're doing that now. What do you love about wor- doing what you're doing and working with your team? So I, I'm, I'm very lucky that I have a team here in Austin. I have a team in Denver. I have a team in Boston. And then I have some folks all well, I, literally all over the country. So I do have opportunity to travel into territory to see them. Uh, in fact, next next uh, Monday, we're going for end of quarters. Our, our quarter is short this this year, um, just with the Broadcom um, acquisition closing on the 30th. So what, what I, there's a couple things that I love. I, I love that when, Again, like I said in the beginning, I'm looking for, I, I'm looking to make you better. I want to help you get either a better job where you are or at your next place. Um, I've successfully promoted a lot of my management into better roles and and um, help them in their career. So that is that is something of a passion to me. Um, I'm excited to see. You know, I'm only as good as my team. So if they're hitting 100%, then, you know, that that's fine for me. But I need my team to be, um, you know, performing on all, all cylinders. And so, you know, I think it takes, it takes someone who really likes to do, you know, sort of that inside sales development work because sometimes it is, you know, not as gl- glamorous as an enterprise. Like we're not going to do a $50 million deal or even a $10 million deal. We're going to do, you know, a thousand twenty k deals, and that mindset and that velocity is is a lot. It's a it's a very different cadence than someone who does three big deals, you know, maybe a quarter. And I love well, that passion and energy. Well, in the in the B two B SaaS world, doing those a bunch of those uh, consistent deals and not having all your eggs in one basket uh, certainly contributes to uh, a more positive valuation for the company in in most scenarios. So that's what uh, you know makes the keeps the lights on, as they say. So Victoria, you mentioned several times uh, that how much you enjoy the challenge of helping people get better, and usually people who uh, are wired that way. Uh, they weren't. They weren't necessarily born that way. They were the recipient uh, of great coaching. There was somebody else who took you under their wing, who said, "I want to help you get better, Victoria." Uh, that's typically that's what I hear. W- what are your thoughts there? Is that is there that person or people in in your life that had an impact on you from a coaching perspective? Actually, there are, and. Um over the years, I've actually reached out and, and rethanked them again. So um, I can sp- I can call out two folks, Brian Cox and Josh Leslie, who took a chance on me to join VMware. Imagine 2004, someone asking you to 
tell me what virtualization was. I don't even know what I said, but they hired me. They took a chance. And I remember going home to my, my family and saying, mom, I got this job at a company called VMware. And I was at Oracle at the time. And Oracle was like, I mean, for me, Oracle was, I made it. I, that to me back then was, you made it, you're in sales. Um, I was so proud. And um, a friend of mine said, hey, why don't you go look at this company? They're looking for inside sales reps. And you know, I had only been at Oracle for maybe almost two years, but I thought, okay, let's, let's go see, check this out. And I, I got the job, but, but to answer your question, Brian Cox told me one time that A players hire A players and B players hire C players. And I didn't really understand what that meant at the time. But what I realized over the course of the next 20 years, it means that I'm going to surround myself with people who I want to be around to make all of us get better. And at SailPoint, we would talk about all boats rise together. SailPoint, this very um, nautical theme. And 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 I, I believe that. I think that was core of who I, I was. And then um, Josh Leslie would push me all the time at team meetings. So I was very afraid to talk in front of customer or talk in front of people and customers. And he would make me do a product presentation every meeting until I like could just walk up there and do it without prep. And those two mo- moments are so memorable to me that, um, yeah, I'm so grateful and thankful that I had people who even cared to, to talk to me about it. Well, that's awesome. And thanks for sharing. We need more Brian Cox's and Josh Leslie's <laughs> yeah. um, and Victoria Abling's um, in, in the business. So uh, one, one other thing I, I wanted to bring up um, is I was, you know, looking on your LinkedIn profile as we had conversations leading up to this interview, and I noticed that you volunteered, or um, uh, you know, from a philanthropic point of view, you're affiliated with an organization called Dress for Success. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you. I I love uh, this this um, this organization. It's a nonprofit in Austin. It's called Dress for Success. They are uh, responsible for helping women who are um, getting back on their feet with business clothing, and they actually do resume services as well. Um, I, uh, in fact, this is the last time that I was actively involved where I was um, volunteering versus just donating. Um, I would, we, we were in New York City and we would go to um, some of these women's shelters and help them with uh, the resume building. So um, it, it is something I'm, I'm extremely passionate about. Um, I do donate a lot of, of, you know, it sounds sort of frivolous, but I do donate a lot of my um, work attire to, to this organization. It's, it's my number one go-to place. And um, what I think is really important for it and why it, it was something important for me is that I believe that age-old mantra that you dress for the position you want. And I think that we've gone away from that a little bit during COVID. And why I think this is really important is that there's a lot of young folks right now that have never presented in front of um, someone, uh, you, you know, never actually presented in some front of someone. And if they've never had anyone tell them that how you dress and how you're perceived is extremely important, um, you know, here we are trying to trying to give you a little bit of that. But it's something we talk about a lot at work. We we just wrapped up a week of presentations for um, some new branding that we are uh, launching. And if you were presenting, you you have to show up in a you know a jacket and look presentable. Make sure there's nothing in the background. Uh, and and 
the coaching that comes with that too, and just the confidence with showing that you know you're here and you're you're showing up is is extremely important. It changes your mindset. It helps you with your confidence. It um, dopamine goes you know and serotonin's released. It is very important. Um, it, it is really important. And, uh, and so yeah. I'm glad you went there. It sounds like a fantastic uh, organization in Austin. My my son. Uh, lives in Austin. I'm going to make sure I share this with him and see it kind of spread the word for the folks that uh, he works with. Um, but I'm glad you made the connection to how people show up for work um, in our business. It, you know, I hear a lot, and I observe a lot coming uh, post COVID where life via, virtually via Zoom, whatever the platform is, is, um, is the norm now. But have we gone too far? I mean, is it okay to show up with a hoodie, with the hat on backwards, with the bed in the background that's uh, <laughs> unmade? And, uh, I mean, uh, what, I mean, what do you say as a person who leads professional salespeople? So I think it is very, very important um, that when you are on a one-to-one or a customer call, that 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 is that is part of how you prepare. Right, you do not show up with potentially, you know, anything in the background noise. You are here to um, just like you would be face to face. Right, the, the the Zoom right now has um, created a sense of, um, you know, uh, almost comfortableness. But mm-hmm. it, what what it also shows is, um, I I think lack of respect uh, at times, maybe um, you know your own dignity and integrity. But w- w- you wouldn't do that if you were going to, um, you know, let's say church or to, um, y- you know, again, meet a customer in person. It, have we gone too far? I think what is acceptable, and I think this is important, there's going to be team meetings. I mean, I'm sometimes not on camera. I'm not, even yesterday, I was like, guys, this is a rough day. I'm not, I'm not going to be on camera today. But if I'm going to be on a one-on-one with my boss, I, you sure know that I have my jacket on now. The other thing that happens when I have a jacket on, he's like, are you interviewing? I'm like, no, Sean, (laughs) you know, but he's laughing because he's like, why, you know, it's almost funny that there's this other flip side of getting dressed up for a Zoom call that, you know, why do you look professional? Um, But it it is very important. And I I would never um, encourage you. I would never encourage that that's not something that you take uh, lightly or for granted, you you know, and so now it doesn't... Sorry, I was just going to say it doesn't help that you do have a lot of these CEOs that just wear hoodies and and tennis shoes and they have, you know, one outfit, but I think they made it, uh, you know, they, they probably deserve it at that point. But in sales, you're always selling. So, you're selling yourself the minute you get on that Zoom and and you're not showing up. Um but there's also, you know, read the room and, you know, there's there's going to be times where it's going to be okay not to yeah. Hey, this is just a casual call. And that's what's missing. Sorry. The, right. That is also what's missing with this Zoom culture is that when, when is this casual? When is this just a hey to, you know, talk versus I have to put time on your calendar. You've got to log in. We, we have that awkward like, uh, you know, talking and it, you don't have the hallway conversations that or, organic um, growth that normally happens um, in the office. So, you know, just like right. th- that translates a little bit to clothing as well. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, so, Victoria, as we wind down here, I've been asking this question uh, recently. You've been doing this for a little while, and 
you know, I know like with, with my kids, they're like, dad, tell me that story again about that time when, you know, what did you just say? And, and so people who perhaps are coming up in this business, um, and even people who have been in it just kind of like, like to go down memory lane sometimes. What's one of the things that you recall that happened uh, as you were coming into the business that a lot of people, if they were just dropped in it today, couldn't believe that that actually happened. I, yeah, I actually have two, I have two things that I can share. Um, there's probably even more if I, I, I sit and think about it, but the first that comes to mind because I get asked about this a lot with my team and, and it's unfathomable is, um, in the beginning, uh, this is probably, you know, I, graduated in 98. So 2000, 2001, we, we had to sit by a fax machine for um, our PO. And imagine having to get a VP that is not in the office. I mean, back then they probably were still, you know, traveling a lot or, or what, but if they didn't get to a fax machine or they ha- didn't have a printer, that was, that's crazy to think, you know, that, um, that, that we would have to wait. Um, and you, you just sit there and hear it, you hear the sound and then you'd be like, ah, oh, it's not mine. And you, you know, call your friend over and give it to them. Um, the second is quarter end. I mean, we still do a little bit of quarter end in the office, but mm. it, it became, in, I mean, I, VMware back in the day was on a calendar quarter end. So my husband's birthday is September 30th and New Year's is uh, November 31st. I missed 11 of his birthdays and I missed 11 (laughs) New Year's Eves because I was in the office for quarter end. When I moved to Austin, that is now a 2 a.m. quarter end, not not even a midnight. So as a leader, you're there making sure everything's wrapped up. Did it book? You know, you're hitting refresh on the EDI logs to make yep. sure EDI was our transaction from DISTI to us to make sure the order came in. Is it clean? Is it in contingency? Um, so, so that, 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 but more importantly, that was your family. So this culture of we're in this together, you know, there was no weddings, no babies, no birthdays, you know, that you, you could not block off end a quarter or year right. end. Right. So um, I do miss the, the, the family that you created, um, with, with, you know, being at an end a quarter. Um, I, I do think it's coming back a little bit. Um, we're starting to see, you know, even we go back for end a quarter, but it's not, it's not necessarily the same. There's new cutoff dates and, you know, it's not as, as extreme, but you, you know, we do still try to keep a lot of that camaraderie, uh, going. Well, I can resonate with both. I remember fondly, like the, the, it was like type two fun. I don't know if you know, you know, type one fun, type two fun. Type one fun is it's fun while you're doing it. And it's really good to think about. It's fun to think about it. Type two fun. It was like sometimes miserable doing it. But when you look <laughs> back on it, it was, you know, you look back on it fondly. And I, I view a lot of the end of quarters as uh, type two fun. Um, but because it really was, you really did bring the team together and um, having everybody sit around waiting for that last deal to come in at two, three in the morning, whatever it may be. Uh, In hindsight, you wonder why you had to make that wait wait that long, but um, well, well, that's a topic for for another day. Yeah, that is The fax machine, right. The the fax machines, uh, I'll, I'll, I can't, I can vividly remember the kind of the milestone moment. And my counterpart was based in New York. His name is Steve Morosky, still in business, uh, very prominently. And Steve's team had a deal and the fax machine broke down. And the way I remember it, Steve, or somebody on Steve's team 
had a camera and I, I can't remember exactly when it was. I don't know if it was an iPhone camera or what, but they took a picture of the contract and e and downloaded and emailed it over. And I was like, wow, I, if that happened to me, I wouldn't have thought of that um, back, back at that time. And I was like, wow, things have changed. And yes. we quickly removed off of the fax machine after that. But, uh, I remember that milestone moment. Um, so Victoria, listen, thanks for, uh, sharing, uh, that walk down memory lane and, and <laughs> love the conversation. Uh, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about the importance of discovery, uh, of not being defensive and for dressing for the job that you want. Uh, we talked about the importance of coaching and building that culture and, and, and focus of being that servant leader. How do I make you better? And so that, that, uh, topic of coaching is one that's empowering, not onerous and, and punitive. So, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. If somebody wanted to contact you, learn more about what you're doing at VMware Carbon Black, or just ask you a question about whatever we're talking about today, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, a couple of ways. They could uh, look me up on LinkedIn. It's Victoria Abling. Um, I, I, I'm i there. Um, I, yeah, I mean, that's probably the easiest way is through LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty active on it um, as you are in sales. And so that'd be great. Awesome. Victoria and Abeling on uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, um, I I was a, a panel for this young entrepreneur group too, where we we it was almost like a like a Shark Tank, and um, I you know still contact with some of those kids today to just get advice. So um, I, I I welcome that that stuff too. So awesome! Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. Um, so we'll leave it right there. Uh, Victoria, really appreciate the conversation today. Uh, appreciate yeah, thank you, time. Matt. It was great. I had a great time. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. If you learned something today, or you laughed, uh, tell someone about the podcast. It's Coach to Scale. Wherever you consume your podcast, uh, whether it's YouTube or Spotify, go in there, hit the like button, and you'll be kept abreast of all the episodes that we publish, which is on a weekly basis. Again, Victoria, thank you. It's been my pleasure to host this conversation on behalf of Coach to Scale. And until next time, coach them if you want to keep them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Coach to Scale, How Modern Leaders Build Coaching Cultures. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at coachem.io. That's C-O-A-C-H-E-M dot I-O. And follow us on Twitter at Coachem Now. See you all next week. Thanks for joining. And remember, coach them if you want to keep them. <laughs>